not fear the one and only Tucker Carlson. He's here, right here, right now. Buck up, it's going to get better. Hello, welcome to Tucker Out. I'm Troy. I'm Tyler. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> and uh, we're a couple of podcasting professionals here today to talk about chicken enthusiast Tucker Carlson. Yes, but first, we have patrons to thank. We sure as shit do. Okay. Um, the ghost of Larry Nichols is just asking questions. Thank you so much, the ghost of Larry Nichols. Um, May is a lying, smug, pompous group thinker. Thank you, May. John Williams is a lying, smug, pompous group thinker. Thank you, John Williams. Uh, Flap Jackson is a lying, smug, pompous group thinker. Thank you very much, Flap Jackson. <laughs> Flap Jackson. I really enjoy your name, Flap Jackson. As so do I. <laughs> and Cade Bryan is an elite. Thank you, Cade. You most certainly are. Thank you to all of you. Um, all of our patrons, not just the new ones. You guys are wonderful. Yeah, there's uh one of our one of our listeners. I don't know if you saw this. They made us a uh, a text generator based off a bunch of Tucker Carlson transcripts. What? Yeah. No, I didn't see this. I'm very excited to play with it. <laughs> Same. So you, you guys are the best. There's been an update since last I, I read it. It, was, it had only been trained on five transcripts, and already it was it was pretty good. Awesome. <laughs> um, oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, so, uh, Tyler, we've got an interesting week to go over. Um, we're going to be talking about the uh, 24th through the 27th. After 15 straight weeks of Tucker Carlson, I grow weary of him. <laughs> I can't imagine why. It, there, there may or may not have been a point this week where I was sitting in my car screaming at his disembodied voice. Uh, so uh, I, I think my therapist would tell me it's time for a palate cleanser. Yeah. Um, so we, we've, got, we've got a whole bunch of Tucker Carlson to go over this week, and then... I know next week I want to focus on a couple of his advertisers, and I might find something else to build that build that runtime out. I found one that I'm pretty sure is like a front for Scientology. So <laughs> I'm very excited. Cool. I, I wanted to do that one today, but I, I fell asleep reading FDA documents last night, so I, I didn't get there at all. Um, As you do. <laughs> and then I know that in two weeks we're going to do an episode about a propagandist who is not Tucker Carlson. Okay. And then... I've also been I, I tracked down some of his sources on for the UFO stuff, and it just led me down some interesting rabbit holes. So I'm gonna try to have that episode ready by the time the the report comes out next month. Very cool. All right. Um, but all of those things are in the future, and we unfortunately exist in the present, where we have uh, 35 clips of Tucker Carlson to talk about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is our curse, after all, to live in the present. Um, but before you, before you get into it, I need to address, uh, something that I fucked up last week. So toward the end of last week's episode, Tucker did a segment about baby skulls being grafted onto lab rats. Yes. And, uh, I mentioned that was all based on a lot of the, uh, Planned Parenthood sells baby parts discourse that was happening in late 2015. Yeah. And I misremembered some of the details of that when I talked about it last week. I said that that was Project Veritas and James O'Keefe. Um, I was mistaken. Oh, okay. That was uh, spearheaded by a group called the 
Centers for Medical Progress, which a hilarious name for this anti-abortion group. <laughs> well, they have to make it sound like they actually know what they're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. And the, the Centers for Medical Progress are headed by a guy named David Deladen. David Deladen and one other co-conspirator tried to basically entrap Planned Parenthood into entering an illegal contract to profit off of the sale of fetal tissue. So there's a federal law against profiting from the sale of human tissue. But there is a provision written into that law that like when, when those tissues are exchanged for medical research and stuff, the providers can be reimbursed for the like shipping costs and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so what David Deladen and the Center for Medical Progress did, they assumed fake identities and built like some shell companies to try and get contracts buying fetal tissue from Planned Parenthood. And then they released a bunch of heavily edited videos where they just conveniently edited out all of the assurances from Planned Parenthood's, Planned Parenthood staff that they weren't profiting off of these transactions. Wow. Yeah. Um, you went to great lengths to make Planned Parenthood look like a bad place. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so there are criminal charges against Deladen and, and others because they, uh, they had like gotten fake driver's licenses and were doing all this under false pretenses. This is—it's especially irritating to me that I missed that or, or got it wrong last week, because let's listen to just a small piece of that clip again. The University of Pittsburgh has been using taxpayers' funds to perform experiments on aborted children. We can't show you the images from that those experiments because they're horrible. But we do know that some of the funding for the so-called medical research came from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. That's run by Tony Fauci. David Lott is the pro-life activist helping to uncover this and many other stories, and we're happy to have him with us. It was the same fucking guy. <laughs> David Lott was the guest who brought this fucking baby skin grafted down the lab rat story. It's all coming together. <laughs> So I, I was, I was furious because like, I, it was the same day we recorded that. I was like, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I got that wrong, and so I looked into it again. I was like, God damn it, it's the same dude. Was, <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, that story was even dumber than we knew at the time. <laughs> okay, um, so with that out of the way, let's jump into this this week that we got behind us. In this first clip, Tucker is in some familiar territory, but then he at the end here. He gives us a gift that, frankly, we needed at this point. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Actually, it looks like this virus did come from a lab in China. Nearly a year and a half into the pandemic, that is the new consensus in the American media. Boy, these things change fast. Excuse me. Whoa! <coughs> there are holdouts, of course. Do you know what happened there? Uh, he said that COVID came from a lab in China? What? Yeah, but he, at the end, he choked on his nicotine gum. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, no. No, I didn't catch that. He got stuck in his throat. <laughs> I watched the video. It made me very happy. <laughs> he chews it while he records? That's so gross. Okay. Uh, but yeah, as far as the content you correctly pointed out, um... We're back on the the Wuhan lab leak, uh, which we have talked about extensively. <laughs> yeah, we we we've covered this twice already, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that specific part of it. But I kept these clips in because it's it's interesting to look at how the way he talks about this has evolved now. There are holdouts, of course. 
Just today over at the Washington Post, a China shill called Michael Gerson wrote a hilariously overwrought column with this title, quote, the right is dwelling on slanderous myths about the origins of COVID-19. Slanderous myths, Russian QAnon sleeper cells slandering the Chinese government. It's pretty funny. The good news is it's almost over. You're probably not going to see a lot more columns like that going forward. The nonsense is finally dying down. At other parts of Michael Gerson's own newspaper, we have learned, they are working on news stories about how the virus did, in fact, escape from a lab in Wuhan. So the debate among serious people over the origins of COVID appears to be pretty much winding up. Pretty much every sane person at this point acknowledges that the government of China likely caused the single worst man-made disaster in human history. So he's equivocating people calling coronavirus the China virus with criticism of the Chinese government? Yeah. Those things are not the same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and what, what stuck out to me is the certainty now. Like, it, because th- there was all this haranguing about it, most outlets have, have at the some point at some point in the last couple of weeks been like, "Well, yeah, lab leak theory can't be ruled out. Zoonotic origin is still more likely." And because they've expressed uncertainty, Tucker has now taken that to mean that every every serious person, every major outlet now agrees that lab leak theory is true. This is so familiar. Like when I was younger, watching atheist stuff, like admitting that you can't be 100% certain about something leads people to just jump on, oh, he's not sure, so obviously there's a god, but in this case, it's like, obviously it came from a lab, because they don't know. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's stupid. This whole thing is a good example of how Tucker weaponizes uncertainty. Uh, Scientists almost never say that they're sure. Yeah, (laughs) right. uh, People like him can go a long way with that. Yeah. It's Also, I, I pointed this out last week, but it's interesting to see how when he has a target, somebody to get you mad at, then COVID is one of the worst disasters to ever afflict mankind. Um, and every other day, it's a fake, yeah, fake disease that you shouldn't <laughs> yeah, wear with a, a mask ninety-eight percent survival and rate. Then... <laughs> <laughs> um, he he's also taken to saying that recently that COVID has destroyed the West, which I don't love. Um, define destroy and the West? Because I mean, I think I live in the West, and I don't think that my civilization has been destroyed. So, yeah. And anytime one of these guys starts throwing around the West, I get nervous. Yeah. <laughs> now that he's established this fantasy world in which the scientific community agrees with him, we're gonna we're gonna see him take this a little bit further. So, where are those scientists today? Is there, for example, a single working virologist in the world who would come on this show right now and dismiss the Wuhan lab leak idea out of hand as ridiculous or, quote, outrageous, as Francis Collins, who runs the NIH, once did, to his eternal shame? We doubt there's a single working virologist who would dare to do that. Scientists are not going to say we're 100% sure it didn't come from that unless they're 100% sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I, I liked that as the bookend because it's just, it's really clear what he's doing there. Yeah, yeah. Even if they're 99% sure that it didn't come from a lab, they're not going to come on and say yeah. that they're 100% sure that it didn't come from a lab. It's hard to prove that shit, man. Exactly, yeah. And, like, it, it's, you you can't prove a negative, and so, yeah. like, it's in all these weird semantic games. Right. 
But uh, now, now that the scientific community, all of them, are behind Tucker on this, apparently. Right. Uh, why That's isn't, what I got from that. Why isn't the federal government getting on board? The U.S. government has not launched a broad and serious investigation into where the coronavirus came from, if you can imagine. As a fact, they have not done that. At the same time, they're telling us we need a 9-11-style commission to understand every facet of the January 6th events at the Capitol. But the pandemic that's killed three million people and destroyed the West, which it has, never mind. We'll let someone else figure it out. Again, with the, the destroying the West, I presume that when he says the West, he means white people. That's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and COVID affected non-white people much har- more harshly than it affected white people. Yeah, and, so. and in fact, the countries that were the most affected by COVID weren't in what he would consider the West. No, so. India's having a pretty bad time right now. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we're going to get away from Lab Leak for a bit now, but it's going to come back. But at this point, Tucker goes to commercials, and I don't know if there was some sort of error with an ad slot or something, but listen to the way that he comes back from break. So there's a new bill in the Congress. <laughs> My God. <laughs> just, but a Viking riding into battle. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm picturing, like, a newscast on a, in a disaster movie would play <laughs> yeah. that song before it came on. Yeah, that, that was... <laughs> this just in. Africa has fallen off of the planet. <laughs> like... Yeah, that was super weird. <laughs> Extremely dramatic. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- there's a new bill in the Congress, Tyler. And uh, it something that as we kind of refined our formula, if you can say we have, as we've done this show. Definitely since episode one. There's, yeah. there's been some refinement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, Tucker has a lot of bad takes on things. Sure and does. That's, and that's... I, d- I don't like getting into those fights on this show. I don't want to just be like it. Well, well, this is why I, I think that your values are wrong or whatever. You know, like I we could do that for five hours a day. <laughs> it, yeah, it's more in the purview of this show to focus on like when he is lying or what or where he's getting his information from. So normally I wouldn't focus so much on this segment, but he he has a guest here that I I'm thrilled to talk about. Because um, this is kind of just a bad take. He's going to talk about the Endless Frontier Bill in the Congress right now. Okay. So there's a new bill in the Congress called the Endless Frontier Act, and the idea behind it is kind of hard to criticize. You don't imagine anyone could be against a piece of legislation that aims to help the United States beat China in manufacturing and technology. But we thought it'd be interesting to hear from one of its critics what's in it. Exactly. Senator John Kennedy serves the state of Louisiana in the United States Senate. He joins us now to explain his view of this bill. Senator, thanks so much for coming on. So I, I, I know you agree that the idea behind the bill sounds great. You're saying that the reality of the bill falls far short of great. T- tell us how. Don't you love when you introduce a guest by telling them what you know they agree about? <laughs> yeah, and also I don't. He does not explain the bill. Is John Kennedy going to do that? Because uh, he he n- no. I okay. mean, <laughs> he's okay. going to talk a lot about it, but you're not going to come away with any more clarity. Okay, because um, right now it's just it's gonna make America beat China. Yeah. So what this is, it's uh, 
It's a bipartisan spending bill. It puts money into like R&D for American science, science and technology, as well as some uh, investments in manufacturing, and takes steps to limit tariff exposure for certain industries. So it generally the, good for business owners. Yeah, the, like. the 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 framing of the bill is about like it staying competitive economically with China. Okay, and um, it, it it's got. Like in today's day and age, it's got an impressive amount of bipartisanship behind it. Like, yeah, I, I thought bipartisanship was dead, so yeah, I was like, surprised it, when you said. It. Like, signers include like Chuck Schumer and Lindsey Graham. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> but Senator John Kennedy is not on board with this bill. Okay, and uh, it, this interview is profoundly stupid. <laughs> well, let me apologize in advance for any mean, ugly, accurate things I'm about to say. Senator Schumer has a bill, as you said, Endless Frontiers Act. Um, it's, um, it is right now before the Senate. Uh, it is an orgy of spending, and very little bit of the money goes to the military. Here is a copy of the bill. It's an orgy of spending, and he's Poor upset. guy thinks orgies are bad. And he uh, he's upset that very little of the money goes to the military. He, that's a complaint he'll go back to repeatedly, which is interesting since it's not a defense bill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, he's going to talk about some of the things in this orgy that he objects to. Uh, it started out at $40 billion. It, the budget office tells me it's up to $200 billion and growing like kudzu. It's probably going... Uh, kudzu is a invasive plant from Japan. Thank you. You must have seen my face when he said kudzu. It looked a lot like mine when he said kudzu. <laughs> it's probably going to pass, because I say this gently, but some of my Republican colleagues have swapped brains with the Democrats and are going to vote for it. Senator Schumer is ecstatic. He's running around like a a five-year-old in a Batman costume. <laughs> Okay, um, why didn't anyone tell me that we had developed brain-swapping technology? Because that's dope as fuck. It, yeah, I mean, is that is that in this orgy? Is that some of the funding? Is <laughs> Like, how much do I have to spend to, to like, switch brains with Lindsey Graham? Well, how much do I have to spend to see Chuck Schumer running in a Batman costume, frankly? Yeah. <laughs> Here, here's what the bill will do. $120 billion in foreign aid. I don't know why we can't use that money for infrastructure. I don't know why we have to give money to countries that hate us. They should be able to hate us for free. $50 billion to the big tech semiconductor companies. We all know how broke big tech is. Uh, I, I guess they can use the money to uh, develop more efficient algorithms to censor us. Uh, $80 billion to the infamous National Science Foundation. This is the same National Science Foundation that spent $500,000 in taxpayer money studying how long it takes pandas to poop. The answer is 12 minutes, by the way. Um, they need more fiber. Uh, it spent $3 million, the NSF did, uh, seeing, to see if students can tell the difference between toilet water and bottled water. Uh, they spent another $500,000 to study whether shrimp can run on treadmills underwater. And I could keep going for an hour. Okay, so because he doesn't like what other people are studying, they shouldn't be allowed to study it, I guess? Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to go through each of those studies. I, 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 don't think, I don't think that Senator Kennedy has read them. 
I strongly it's doubt spent it. $500,000 in taxpayer money studying how long it takes pandas to poop. The answer is 12 minutes, by the way. Um, they need more fiber. Okay. So panda poop. <laughs> I found a couple of different panda poop studies. I'm not certain which one Senator Kennedy was referring to exactly, but I think it's this one. They, they were they were looking at the at the the microbiome in pandas' guts to see how it might affect their breeding behavior or breeding behavior. The short version is that it turns out the pandas aren't very good at digesting large amounts of bamboo, and that's the only thing they eat. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> And it upsets their stomach in a way that causes them pr- to produce painful mucus-filled poops, because uh, they like shed the mucosal lining in their stomach. Oh. So when they pass these membranous fecal pellets, they tend to stop eating for a while because it's there's a lot of like d- intestinal discomfort, and that can lead to interruptions in the breeding cycle and can also disrupt pregnancy hormones. So this research shows that the panda's diet might be contributing to the problem of getting them to breed, which is an issue that has confounded conservationists for a while now. Yeah, how are they still around? It seems like they're terrible at being animals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's pretty rough that like because it talked about how like in theory they should be eating meat, but feeding them meat at this point makes them violently ill. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, it spent three million dollars. The NSF did uh, seeing to see if students can tell the difference between toilet water and bottled water. Okay, so uh, this was a study about recycled wastewater at the University of California. After years of drought, the notion of drinking recycled wastewater has gained a lot of momentum in California. Thoughts turned to all the water being discarded to supplementing conventional groundwater with recycled water. The problem that arises from that conversation, though, is a disgust reaction that people tend to have to the idea of drinking recycled wastewater. Yeah. Its safety has been well established, but the idea is just gross to a lot of people. Yeah. So this study was essentially a blind taste test. Participants were asked to rank their preferences for a sample of recycled wastewater, uh, a sample of groundwater, and a sample of bottled water. The groundwater rated last in terms of taste preferences, while recycled recycled water tied with the bottled water. Shocker. <laughs> yeah, participants couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> um, so this helps inform like messaging and public policy going forward, which is going to be really important as climate change climate change threatens groundwater in many areas. Yeah. Is California ever going to get rain again? Like, who knows? Yeah, it's, it's up <laughs> Not in the air. good over there. Uh, they spent another $500,000 to study whether shrimp can run on treadmills underwater. And I could keep going for an hour. Shrimp on a treadmill. This study was conducted with Pacific white shrimp, which are one of the most commonly eaten varieties of shrimp by humans. In the modern era, most of these shrimp are raised in captivity at aquatic farms and supplied to grocery stores and markets from there. Uh, worldwide, more than 2 million tons of these farmed shrimp are eaten each year. David Sholnick is a marine biologist at Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon. There, he studies these shrimp, among other creatures. And about 10 years ago, he was studying some shrimp farms plagued by large amounts of bacteria. He suspected the germs were making it tough for the shrimp to get oxygen from the water. Like a person with a heavy cold, it could be difficult for them to breathe. Sholnick also suspected sick shrimp would get tired more quickly than healthy ones. Indeed, the shrimp he was observing were normally quite active. Now they often remained emotionless in their tanks. The only way to test whether the animals were truly tiring too quickly was to give them a workout. 
He or someone on his team could prod the shrimp to chase them around the tank, but Sholik thought there must be a better way. His solution was a treadmill. So th this was really to see how the shrimp's immune response to bacteria affected their physical activity, and also to test their response to changes in water quality, specifically when there is less oxygen available in the water, which is going to be important for the global food supply as climate change reduces the oxygen in the world's oceans. Um, we're going to want to know how the how the animals in the oceans we eat are going to respond to that. Makes sense. Um, so it, it wasn't just to see how long a shrimp can run on a treadmill. It has broader implications for all of seafood, given current environmental trends. It's also a lie that this experiment cost $500,000. Kennedy is referring to a grant that went to Sholnick's team, which encompassed a wide variety of experiments, of which the shrimp experiment was a small portion. They actually ran this experiment super cheaply. For the moving belt on the treadmill, Sholnick cut a rectangular piece of rubber from a large inner tube. Uh, he, looped the he looped that conveyor belt around a couple of wheel assemblies taken from a skateboard. Those were then mounted onto a scrap of wood, and he used a small motor taken from another piece of equipment to power the treadmill. The only money he spent was $47 for the plastic panels used to, used to build the tank that would hold it. Most of the funds allotted to this experiment went to the compensation for the researchers, who, when all was said and done, made about $4 an hour over the course of the summer. <laughs> <sighs> this is kind of bumming me out. All these studies are like... Not, is it bad, but how bad is it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it, it it's it's real good that we have people like Senator, Senator Kennedy going, why are we funding all these stupid studies that I don't understand? Well, climate change is a myth, Troy, so like, yeah. we don't have to study all this stuff. Yeah, so with that out of the way, um, Kennedy has a little bit more to say about this bill. Uh, here's my point, and this is my opinion. Others disagree with me. Um, my, my mother did not raise a fool, and if she did, it was one of my brothers. This is not a fight communism bill. If you look at this bill and study it, you will see this is a all four feet and your snout in the trough spending bill with virtually no money going for military defense. May, may I ask just a stupid question? Um, and I'm sorry about your brothers, by the way. Uh, why would a bill designed to help American manufacturing contain foreign aid? I have no idea. Well, yes, I do, Tucker. Here's what happened. This started out as a fairly small bill, if you can call $40 billion small, and then everybody piled on. And Senator Schumer desperately wants to pass the bill, so he cut everybody in on the spending. And that's why I say it is an orgy of spending porn. I'm not saying that... An orgy of spending porn now. He's expanded the metaphor. <laughs> so, wait, so the porn itself is having an orgy in this metaphor? It, yeah, or it, it's, it's porn of a spending orgy specifically, which then you have to get into what is a spending orgy. Maybe some sort of, like, prostitute auction? I don't know. I'm also sorry for John's brothers for having to live with a fool. <laughs> I'm not saying that every penny in here is wasteful. I'm saying an enormous amount is wasteful. And here we are talking about, or, or President Biden is raising taxes to pay for infrastructure. Why can't we use some of this money to pay for infrastructure? 
Uh, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, everybody, everybody in Washington is for, is for is for fiscal responsibility. They want to cut spending. But everybody in Washington is it's like going to heaven. They, they want to go to heaven, but they don't want to take the trip. <laughs> Amazing. Senator, thanks so much for joining us tonight and giving us a window into how things actually work. Appreciate it. That's what that was, a window into how things actually work. (laughs) Okay, so to sum up, the numbers are too damn big. That's that's the whole (laughs) that's the whole problem. Yeah, I don't understand any of this stuff we're paying for. It's not more guns. (laughs) Why does like something that's supposed to stimulate manufacturing have to have military spending (laughs) on it? Like Yeah, we need we really need to stimulate Lockheed Martin and Raytheon. Yeah. So, uh, and then Tucker's question there, why would this bill contain any foreign aid if it's supposed to help us compete with China? There's actually a pretty good reason for that, and that's that we live in a world with lots of countries. <laughs> and if you want America to wield greater influence than China in the world, then you probably want America to have, like, some positive investments in developing nations instead of China doing that. Should I say the naughty word? It's, it's, it's globalism. It is. We're, we're going to help each other out. Tyler, you, you, you just ratted us out, Dad. Now, now they're going to know. We're the, we're, the, we're the globalists. That Antifa meeting all over again. <laughs> you think we've been doing this off, off of patrons? Now we got that Soros money. <laughs> God, I wish we had Soros money. Also, George Soros, I know I know you're listening. Help us out. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Like, like you're doing pretty up. well, right? <laughs> So next up, Tucker, uh, he's done talking about small fish. He wants to talk about the state of your country. So if you're a middle-aged American, you can sincerely say that the country of your birth has never been more volatile than it is now. It's never been more on the edge. And what the country needs more than anything is what the new president promised to give the country on the day he was inaugurated in January, which is a respite, calm. Let's rediscover what we have in common, what makes us all Americans, and bridge the gap. You don't want to live in a divided country where people have nothing in common and hate each other. And if you really wanted to do that, the first thing you would do is pause immigration. Obviously. I was uh, I was talking about this yesterday to, to our good buddy Spencer. Yeah, things are kind of volatile right now because the country is doing well, quote-unquote. We're like GDP is up and everything and the living situations of average people has been the same for decades. <laughs> like yeah. we're not average people are not experiencing the growth of the country and that's going to frustrate people. It's it's like we are we're being kept at the bare minimum to not revolt. <laughs> yeah, and and when I say Tucker is a goalie for the billionaire class, this this clip is what I'm talking about because his uh his pivot there was, well, if you wanted to fix that, the first thing you would do is pause immigration. Because it's those those poor immigrants coming over here that are really fucking everything up. Yeah. <sighs> um, so, uh, but hey, maybe he has a point. Let's hear him out. Which has upsides for sure, but it also has downsides. And the main downside of unrestrained immigration or any immigration is that it makes the country more volatile. And if the administration is amping up the in-migration of foreign nationals into the United States, the latest, the Biden administration just announced that over 100,000 Haitians 
for reasons that are not clear to anyone, will get amnesty under a program called temporary protected status. That means if you're here illegally from Haiti, you can get a social security number and work and you can't be deported. What's the purpose of this? That's worth asking. Mark Krikorian is executive director of, for the Center of, Immig- of the Center for Immigration Studies. He joins us now. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. The purpose, Tucker, is to help people. I know, I know <laughs> you're not into that. Yeah, it, that's just the immigration makes the country more volatile. It's just like assimilation shit that like they're incompatible with Western Western civilization. Yeah, and like they always emphasize how illegal these people are. It's like yeah. people aren't illegal. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very dog whistly. Yeah, and we have we the people can change the laws and make it so that they're not illegal. So like they're not like inherently yeah like we we can make it so them being here isn't illegal. It's just because it is that way that you can make this point. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's good. And like it, Haitians had temporary protective status up until recently when the Trump administration revoked it. Um, so this is just kind of a, re- a return to form. Tucker and Mark here, th- they want to pretend that the only justification for a TPS applying to Haitians is an uh, earthquake that happened in 2010. Um and there are still after effects being felt from that earthquake. Like Haiti's infrastructure never recovered, or hasn't yet, at least. Because <laughs> no one helped uh, them. <laughs> yeah. But uh, th- th- there's more than just that going on in Haiti that makes it volatile right now. I'm not a I'm not an expert in this situation, but I, I-, I did some reading last night. The current president, um, Jovenel Moisi, which I'm sure I just butchered, has has been governing by decree for months now actively circumventing the Haitian constitution and has become increasingly authoritarian. With having no power to do so officially, he forced three of the three justices on Haiti's Supreme Court to resign, including one of them who he detained for several days. Um, what? Yeah, um, he also just ignored the, the end of his term, and um, the day after his term was supposed to end, there was an announcement that the, the government had foiled a, a coup attempt and arrested 18 people. The fact that this announcement was revealed at an airport press conference and President Mosi was headed to northern Haiti, apparently un, undisturbed by these developments, has fueled skepticism that the uh, the coup was fake and just a pretext for the government to remain in power. Shocker. Um, <laughs> and so uh, it, now, essentially, there there's no Congress and... Uh, Mostly he's been just governing by decree. And uh, nobody has really stepped up in an organized way in the the international community to address this. So there are good reasons for people who are here to not want to go back to Haiti at the moment. (sighs) Everything is worse than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, Tucker isn't very interested in the nuance of this situation. No. Uh, he's more focused on a talking point we know all too well. I mean, Haiti, you know, whatever its merits, has been poor and volatile for 200 years. So this is not a new development. That's insane. I mean, they're trying to change the population of the United States. And they hate it when you say that because it's true, but that's exactly what they're doing. Is anyone pushing back at all, at any level? Well, um, not really. <laughs> Are people pushing back on this non-existent threat, sir? <laughs> uh, 
No. Yeah, I, I haven't. I, what? I haven't heard anything about that. No. <laughs> Haiti is like a tiny island nation, and he's acting like, how come they're not successful like the U.S. Man. Yeah, it, yeah. Tucker's back in his great, great replacement shit. Yeah. Um, and so they're they're going to talk about the polling on Biden, and then Tucker doubles down on why it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, there's a limit to what can be done until there's another election, assuming people are in fact. Unsatis- dissatisfied with this, and the public opinion polling does suggest that while most voters are basically okay with President Biden, you know, he's got the sort of uh, affable grandfatherly image, the one place where he is underwater in public opinion, his big vulnerability is immigration. And I'm not sure yeah. he has the flexibility to do something about it and respond to that. Yeah, I don't think they care. I mean, you change the population, you change the country, you make your party stronger, you turn into a one-party state, and at that point it doesn't, doesn't matter what people think. And that is, of course, exactly exactly what they're trying to do. Mark Corian, I appreciate your coming on tonight. Thank, Thank you. you. Troy, do we still have kids in cages? Sure do. Yeah, fuck Joe Biden's immigration. <laughs> <laughs> Fix that shit. Yeah, and while he's at it, he should stop trying to replace us with all these... Oh, wait... <laughs> <laughs> with all these browns <laughs> so it, it it's good to know that that tucker is still on that tip not surprising but you know it's been a minute but he he hits us with a palate cleanser tyler I, I think he knows the show's getting a bit heavy and he wants to remind us about the important things in life looking forward to it let's hear it <laughs> so on friday we met someone who called herself a chicken enthusiast. We're a little confused about what that meant. We learned, and it changed our view forever on loving chicken. We'll tell you more in just a moment. Oh, is she back? No, but he's going to play some of the some of the interview again. Um, he goes to break and then comes back with an update on how much he loves chickens now. Oh, I was really hoping this would be like a weekly thing now. <laughs> yeah, just chicken time with Tara. <laughs> So last week, the CDC, whose instructions we follow to the letter on all things, issued a statement that wasn't about COVID, it was about chickens. And they warned Americans, don't get too close to your chickens. Stop chicken touching. We'd never even heard of chicken touching. So this being a news program, we immediately sought a chicken enthusiast to explain. And we found her. Her name is Tara Solomon. She came on Friday night. Here's part of the interview. Are these house birds? I mean, I'm, I'm trying not to ask, do they sleep on the bed? But I'll just ask, do they sleep on the bed? So when I have, like, chicks, when I've hatched chicks, I have been known to bring them inside. I'll, like, roll them up in a towel, and they'll sleep next to me, and it will be like a chicken burrito. And sometimes they'll come inside, like, if I need to give them a bath or clean them or stuff. But they're pretty comfortable inside. So we'll be honest, we went into this interview with low expectations. You interview a lot of people on a show like this, and... A chicken enthusiast, it's probably kind of a freaky person, right? She sleeps with her chicken. Rude. By the end of that interview, we were 100% on her side and the side of any chicken enthusiast who loves her chickens. And we heard from a lot of them, including a lady who paints her chickens' nails. I think we have video of that we can put on the screen. We are not putting this on TV to mock. That may have been our intention Friday, but no longer. In a time of sadness and alienation, animals are a blessing from God. They give us comfort. They give us joy. Being with them, even if they're chickens, is worthwhile. Not maybe as great as a spaniel, but still. 
We're totally in favor of it. So thank you, Chicken Lady, for changing our mind completely. Chicken Lady has a name, Tucker. Don't you dare shit talk Tara. I, I love <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were going to make fun of her, but then it turns out we kind of kind of on board with this chicken touching thing. <laughs> what the fuck? Tara, I love you. You're a lovely person. Don't let Tucker shit talk you. Yeah, Tara, if you ever want to come on the show, I know you're listening. <laughs> you can bring your chickens. We're getting big. Like, we got to be careful. <laughs> Fuck it. I will invite any chicken enthusiast on our show. I don't care. <laughs> That's all we have for Monday. And I'm glad we got to have that little bit of fun there because the opening of Tuesday's episode is not any fun at all. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Just about a decade ago, gender dysphoria was a fairly short entry in abnormal psychology textbooks. It was a condition so obscure that most people had never heard of it. Why are, why are all these people suddenly complaining about gender dysphoria, Tyler? I have a guess. Lay it on me. Okay, people are informed about what gender dysphoria is, and now that they know what it is, that more people will be like, Oh, I feel that. I thought I was just crazy. There's a thing that I am, and I can identify that. Um, and so now more people are like, oh, yeah, I think that's me. <laughs> See, now that's interesting. And follow-up question. When were you first about fucked by Karl Marx? <laughs> <laughs> Give me a show, Fox. <laughs> so he, uh, he, he's talking about gender dysphoria, and he makes a claim here that I don't think can possibly be true. That's changed. If you've got children in school, you know how common that disorder has become. In some places, a third of girls in a given class identify as a gender other than the one in their birth certificates. Most of them probably don't mean it. Five years from now, they'll have moved on. They're going through what we used to call a phase. But for an increasingly large number of children, that phase will not end. Therapists will steer those children to doctors who will almost immediately give them powerful sex hormones, drugs whose long-term effects we cannot know. In some cases, those kids will then be referred to surgeons who will mutilate or remove their sex organs permanently. That is happening across the country tonight. So most of that bullshit we've talked about a bunch of times. Um, but uh, it, he said there that in some classrooms, a third of girls have gender dysphoria, which is, I was bewildered by that. Yeah, strongly, so, strongly doubt. Yeah, so uh, as far as I can tell, all that he's talking about there is from, like, Abigail Schreier's fucking book. Oh, okay. Uh, so not on solid ground there. Also, I just want to quickly point out, uh, gender is not on your birth certificate. Sex is on your birth certificate. That's important. And you messed it up, Tucker. You are willfully <laughs> yeah, ignoring it, science. He, again, I've, like... Him not understanding that at this point is because he doesn't want to understand it. That's exactly. his only excuse. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so so typically Tucker isn't a big fan of the show 60 Minutes with their liberal agenda. Uh, but last Sunday they aired a segment he, that he's fully on board with. We rarely talk about the details of any of it. It's all good, we're told. It's part of a vital, long overdue process of personal liberation. And if you stand in the way or ask too many questions, you are evil. Okay. But before we accept that version of the story, it is fair to ask, what are the details of the process exactly? And what are the consequences of it? This weekend, to its great credit, the news show 60 Minutes asked those questions in a surprisingly unflinching way. Anchor Leslie Stahl interviewed patients who had suffered from gender dysphoria and asked them a simple question, what happened next? 
Here's a woman called Grace Lindinsky Smith explaining what she went through after she went to her doctor to treat her disorder. Watch. Okay, so 60 Minutes aired a segment where they interviewed formerly trans people who no longer identify as trans and have detransitioned. Activists have complained about the segment as being potentially harmful to the trans community. 97% of trans people who transition experience positive outcomes. And there are some pretty serious problems with the segment as a whole. Mainly, uh, one of the detransitioned people they interview is Grace Lindin- Lindinsky-Smith. Lindinsky-Smith is a co-founder of GCCAN, or the Gender Care Consumer Advocacy Network. GCCAN purports to be a group advocating for more competent gender-affirming care, but they partner directly with staunchly anti-trans groups like Rethink Identity, Medicine Ethics, and Fourth Wave Now, which are all anti-trans organizations. Okay. Lindinsky Smith is also con- she also connected the group to Lisa Littman, who coined the term rapid onset gender dysphoria, a bullshit term she uses to suggest that young girls often develop gender dysphoria as a result of quote social contagion or peer pressure. What? Which it, and that's a big part of the basis for Abigail Schreier's book Irreversible Damage. Okay, so so in her mind, girls are on the playground and are like telling other girls that they should be boys instead yeah yep okay yeah i'm sure that happens a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah 60 minutes interviews lindinsky smith and doesn't give any of that context which is um, a a little bit problematic yeah but this segment has stirred tucker's soul and he he jumps into a familiar sandbox to play in with with his new toys Three months to castration, and then a week after the surgery, he wanted to kill himself. That's referring to one of the detransitioned people 60 Minutes interviewed. Almost like detransitioning can have negative effects if you're a trans person. (laughs) Now that makes sense, and yet it is the precise opposite of what activists claim. The opposite of the justification for these procedures in the first place. If you ask questions about the wisdom of gender reassignment surgery, you will be accused immediately of pushing the vulnerable towards self-harm. But in fact, there's quite a bit of evidence of the opposite. Gender reassignment surgery and chemical castration cause depression and exacerbate mental illness. This is known. Just five years ago, a study by the Obama administration found no positive health benefits from this so-called treatment. In a 2016 document called the Proposed Decision Memo for Gender Dysphoria and Gender Reassignment Surgery, Obama officials concluded that, quote, based on a thorough review of the clinical evidence available at this time, there is not enough evidence to determine whether gender reassignment surgeries improve health outcomes for Medicare beneficiaries with gender dysphoria, end quote. So why wasn't there enough evidence? Well, the Obama administration found that many sex change patients were, quote, lost to follow up. Why is that? Many of those patients apparently had killed themselves. So it's Obama's fault that the trans people are here. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, so I, I, I read that memo he was talking about. Um, proposed decision memo for gender dysphoria and gender reassignment surgery. It can be found on the Medicare coverage database website. This was a, an analysis of available studies and data to try to determine whether or not the Obama administration should seek to expand the availability of gender-affirming surgery for Medicare recipients. The, the way that Medicare is currently structured, local Medicare administrative contractors determine the coverage of gender-affirming surgery on an individual claim basis. 
so the Obama administration commissioned this study to see if if they should implement recommendations for like how Medicare should handle gender affirming surgery across the board, which would be great. Yeah, the results of that that study they chose not to issue a uh, a national coverage determination or NCD to standardize the availability of treatment across the country because quote. Our review of the clinical evidence for gender reassignment surgery was inconclusive for the Medicare population at large. The low number of clinical studies specifically about Medicare beneficiaries' health outcomes for gender reassignment surgery and small sample sizes inhibited our ability to create clinical appropriateness criteria for cohorts' Medicare beneficiaries. So basically what they're saying is, like, there aren't enough studies about how this surgery impacts Medicare recipients, and so Medicare can't make a recommendation based off of the evidence available. Okay. So the the the, the data was not saying, as Tucker implies, that it doesn't that the surgery doesn't work to help people with gender dysphoria. They just have to use data that pertains to the efficacy of the surgery for Medicare recipients, and working with too shallow a data pool to draw a conclusion. They do state, however. Suicide attempts were stated to be statistically less frequent in the post-surgical cohort, which is the opposite of what Tucker's trying to say. Uh, Tucker's claim that they couldn't get results because too many of their too many of their participants had killed themselves is also a lie. A large number of participants in these studies reported suicidality, or that they had attempted suicide, as is always the case when dealing with a trans population. Right. Um, but the memo Tucker is referencing again clearly states. That suicide attempts were reduced in the in the cohort that underwent surgery. So the opposite of what he said. Yeah. Um, the memo also states that the number of participants who applied for reversal of their illegal gender status due to a regret state was 2.2%, which is consistent with uh, it, it. It's pretty consistently between like 1% and 3% of people who undergo surgery end up regretting it, uh, which is far from most. Yeah, that's really... Very small. And I think the trans population is like 1% to 2% of the pop. So it's like 1% to 2% of 1% to 2% of people. (laughs) Yeah, you're dealing with a very small cohort. Yeah. So, whenever we're in this territory, it never takes Tucker long to remind us, though. Won't someone think of the children? Because we don't want to be seen as not affirming young people in their decision to have these surgeries and to take these life-altering drugs. These young people. How young are we talking about? At what age do we have to respect their personal decision to, say, undergo chemical castration? Well, last year, Joe Biden answered that question. He suggested that children as young as eight can change their sex. The idea that an eight-year-old child or a ten-year-old child decides, you know, I decided I want to be transgender. That's what I think I'd like to be. It may make my life a lot easier. There should be zero discrimination. So as we said at the outset, things are moving awfully fast, and most people have no idea what the details are. So it seems worth spending some time, as 60 Minutes did over the weekend, talking to people who've actually been through this process. So Biden did not say eight-year-olds should be able to change their sex. (laughs) No. No, he 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 said they should not be discriminated against if they experience gender dysphoria or feel that they are transgender which is which would be good <laughs> yes yeah it, trans kids shouldn't be discriminated against and yeah y- you know that's a bad thing <laughs> um, and uh 
Also, puberty blockers are not chemical castration. We've talked about that on the show before. Yeah, we, and this is territory we've been in a bunch of times. In particular, episode eight of the show when he interviewed Asa Hutchinson, we went, we got, we we got pretty deep into the weeds on that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, um, n- n- nobody is advocating that we perform surgery on eight-year-olds. Yeah, <laughs> or even minors most of the time. Like it's surgery um, on minors is extremely rare, if not non-existent. Yeah, but. This is where the segment gets very fucked up. Tucker is going to interview a person named Billy Burley. Billy is a detransitioner, and it sounds like his experience with transitioning was awful. He had some pretty serious complications as a result of the surgery, and eventually he found himself to still be suicidally depressed, so he detransitioned. Um, his story is really sad, and I'm only going to play a tiny bit from their interview. But one thing I do find interesting is how Bur- Billy Burley probably ended up on Tucker Carlson's radar in the first place. I found him mentioned in a couple of places online, but as far as I'm able to tell, Billy Burley's first media exposure came in the form of a piece by RT in 2018. RT, or Russia Times, is a Russian state-controlled propaganda outlet. In 2018, RT sent a team out to Arizona to interview three people who re- regretted transitioning. Are you fucking serious? Yep. The, oh my god. Um, one of them was Walt Heyer, who people in the trans community, I'm guessing a lot of them might be familiar with. Uh, Walt is a detransitioner who writes for several conservative publications and whose website, Walt Heyer Ministries, Rethinking Transgenderism, uh, runs articles with titles like, It's not just gender dysphoria, it's now rapid onset Marxism. What? <laughs> yeah. Um,. So you can everything get, I don't like is Marxism. <laughs> so you can guess the kind of business he's into, but more importantly, that that RT piece that RT piece also featured Billy Burley. Since then, he I did find he was mentioned in a couple of like local news reports and Facebook groups and stuff, but people only know who he is because of this RT piece, and I suspect that he landed on Tucker's radar because Tucker or someone on his research team is out there trolling RT, which is problematic. Uh, <laughs> not good. Yeah, yeah, good times, good times. So, um, to be clear, I'm not accusing Billy Burley of like being a Russian agent or even a bad faith actor. I think he's a guy who underwent a really terrible ordeal and is still dealing with some of the trauma from that. And here's here's just a small piece of his interview with Tucker to give you an idea of the general tone. This reminds me of, like, the gay friend thing, or, like, the black friend thing. It's like, Trump isn't racist, he's got black friends. Yeah. So it's like, we're not transphobic, we have a trans on our side. Yeah. It, uh, it's so dumb. Billy Burley is one of those people, and we're glad to have him join us tonight. Billy Burley, thanks so much for coming on. So, my understanding... As an outsider watching this, reading about it, is that no one goes into these transitions, these surgeries, particularly lightly. These are people who are very unhappy and they believe that the hormone treatment and or the surgery will make them happier. Is that your experience? And tell us the result. That is not my experience. That was my hope going into the surgery, but not my experience. I had gender dysphoria as as a child. And I tried to deal with it, but I had a breakdown when I was in college. When in college, I sought help sought a, uh, and found a gender therapist. I actually spent five years in therapy trying to overcome, trying to sort through and figure out what's going on, why I had this thought that God made a mistake, I was a girl. But 
the books I've read, the journal articles I read, they all said that I had to transform my body to match my mind for me to be happy. I was getting out of sorts and I wanted to find happiness, so eventually I believed those articles. I told my therapist I wanted to transition and I went through all of the procedures, the surgeries, the uh, documentation changes to be able to present as female. Tucker, the first surgery I went through was a uh, male-to-female surgery where they did a penal inversion and also a brow shave and an Adam's apple shave. And that surgery was horrific. Um, coming out of that surgery, I had a significant amount of bleeding and they tried to control the bleeding by shoving more gauze into my, my new man-made female genitalia and putting a sandbag on my abdomen. Um, my two-week stay in the hospital turned into a three-week stay because of that. And so my experience was really bad. So that sounds horrific. I sounds like he had a terrible time. Yeah. And yeah. that sucks. Yeah, that's nightmarish. Yeah. Um, and it, like I said, this is a guy who underwent some terrible shit. For for Tucker to trot him out in service of his narratives is so shitty. Yeah. Um. All that being said, though, I don't really like his language about, oh, the media said I had to transition or I wouldn't be happy. It's like, right. this is a path of treatment that helps people with gender dysphoria. That doesn't mean you have to do it or it's guaranteed to make it better for you. But it, it sounds like he's in a minority of people who it doesn't help if you have gender dysphoria, you know? Yeah, um, yeah and what... What what he, I mean, he he may he may mention there like trying to understand this thought I had that God made a mistake, which is something you run into a lot where like religious trauma is a big factor for a lot of people who have prolonged issues with this. Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, if if you believe that there's a an omnipotent creator who made you a certain way, then it that's only going to add to what's already an anguishing experience of dealing with gender dysphoria and not being affirmed. For sure. Yeah, so this next bit, Tucker and people like Tucker using people who have undergone situations like this as instrumental to their causes, like, I mean, you, you mentioned the trans friend thing. Yeah. And something I'm, I'm sure we're going to get an opportunity to talk about in this show at some point is how the right is uh, having an identity crisis right now about Caitlyn Jenner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Wait, she's saying all of the right things, but she's a trans. I don't understand. They're yeah. not supposed to do that. Yeah, a lot of them are having a real hard time with that. <laughs> um, and that th that is different, because Caitlyn Jenner is a person, like, she has her views for her reasons, and she she she's not coming to... She's not coming to their side out of trauma, you know? Yeah. It, there's a different valence. <laughs> yeah, conservatism tracks with wealth. Yeah. So, trans or not, it's more likely that you're going to be conservative if you're an extremely wealthy Jenner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so th this segment already had me uncomfortable, but this next bit is uh, what led to me screaming in my car. Um, This is super fucked up, what Tucker does next. 
What would you say to parents who are bewildered and upset when their children come to them and say, I think I, I'm in the wrong body, I have the wrong sex, I want to change my sex? How, how would you advise parents to handle that with their children? So before we even hear the answer to that question, fuck Tucker Carlson. Yup, that's what I was going to say. You beat me to it. <laughs> for him to be explicitly, I mean, he's painted all this horror now, like look at how terrible it was for this person, what they went through. By following this path of having their gender affirmed, yeah. it was bad for them. And so, parents, what should you do if your kids come to you? You don't want this for them. Fuck you. Yeah. It, I don't think it's Just too... ignore the 98% of people that this <laughs> yeah. is good for and listen to me. Yeah. Tucky Tom Toms. Like, this is where harm is done. This is where he he's made people afraid for the well-being of their children. And so they think they're justified in taking the exact wrong approach. And I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say Tucker Tucker he's killing people. I mean, like you couldn't you couldn't charge him with murder, but he is involved in the chain. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I cannot imagine having to navigate a household like that. That would be awful. Oh my god! Yeah, and, and I he's like a, he's only getting worse. And I mean this. I mean I, I've seen this shit. I mean okay, so Tyler Tyler knows about this. Um, I. You know, fuck it. Nobody in my family listens to our podcast. <laughs> so my dad is trans, and I, I refer to him as he because he's only ever identified as male. Mm. But um, and for, for the story to make sense, I mean, I'll start in the middle. He, he, my, my dad's a guy who has been really been affected by lots of right wing propaganda to the point that he he completely just blanket distrusts the medical establishment. He's anti-vax. He doesn't believe that COVID exists. Like, not even that it's overblown. Just the virus itself is fake. Yeah. Um, Trying to control us. Yeah. He, and he, he has some deeper issues too. Like, he gets these paranoid delusions that stem from a lot of this stuff. Like, he tried one summer getting my brother and I to dig a tunnel underneath our yard to the road in case people came to invade our house, we would be able to escape. Um, I forgot about that. He, I mean, I have, I have a memory of my dad it, on the porch shooting a rifle into the sky at what he thought were UFOs. It was actually a spotlight from the airport. Um, but he he got into UFO culture when he was like a late teenager. I'm pretty sure he listened to Bill Cooper. And throughout throughout his life, I I don't think he was ever super wedded to any one propagandist. But I know he listened to Alex Jones here and there a bit. He was a big fan of like the Piers Morgan interview that Alex Jones did. Um, he, I, I know, flirted with like Rush Limbaugh and Michael Savage and all these fucks. And my dad is a crippling alcoholic. And over the past couple of years, it's really accelerated to the point that he uh, s stopped eating. He got fired from two jobs. He basically spent all his time. I mean, he drank all day every day. Straight liquor, didn't eat, lost a, lost a shit ton of weight. He has permanent brain damage from prolonged malnutrition now. Um, he he has no balance. He's slow in conversation. He can't really keep up with things. He trails off because he has no short term memory and forgets what he was trying to say. Like he's just gone, and it sucks. And before before all that really came to a head, I confronted him and tried to figure out what was going on with, with like why he was systematically destroying his life. And he told me that since he was five years old, he would rather be a woman than a man. 
Um, and when I was okay with that, he broke down sobbing and couldn't believe that someone was accepting of that. Because my dad lived his entire life poisoned by these fucks like Tucker Carlson and Rush Limbaugh and his whole ilk to believe that he was wrong and disgusting for the person he was. And so he never felt any leeway to live that way. And instead, he le- his his entrance into a lot of this conspiracy world was just like embracing gun culture, which was a stand-in for masculinity in that because gun stuff is what got him into like Alex Jones' world and all that shit. I mean, obviously, every person is responsible for their own actions. I can't blame everything on the propaganda he was imbibing. But the fact that he he never felt comfortable expressing as who he was and had to treat that with this toxic masculinity all in on guns. I'm gonna drink all. I'm gonna drink all day every day. I mean, th- this shit broke him. I mean, when I, a couple of weeks ago, I went on vacation. That ended up getting cut short because he went, he he underwent alcoholic withdrawals at a fucking zoo, and I had to get him to the hospital. And, and now he he's forty five and needs a goddamn walker because he's destroyed his body so bad. Um, so I didn't mean to get off on all of that, but the, the this upsets me because I know for a fact that Tucker is doing real world damage to people. I know that this shit. He has a body count. And uh, it's inexcusable, frankly. It's fucking disgusting. And um, I... So, yeah. uh, That's why I didn't listen to Friday's episode this week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, there's no words for for all of that. Um, It's ridiculous and it's terrible. Yeah, so uh, with that said, let's hear... Laugh through the trauma, try. (laughs) Here's what Billy Burley had to say about um, what parents should tell their children. I would advise uh, the parents and the children to seek help. Now I was in therapy for seven years, and the uh, going phrase that I hear is that we have to be sensitive and we have to give gender-affirming therapy. The therapist failed me because I didn't need gender affirming. I needed to dig down to the root of my problems that I had when I was a kid. As a kid, I had uh, a speech impediment. I was really skinny. I had a learning disability. I really didn't fit in with the boys at all. So this thought that I had that God made a mistake, I was a girl, my conditions Everything around me was feeding into this thought and confirming it. So when I went through therapy, the therapist didn't ask, why didn't I feel secure, significant, or accepted as a kid? They proceeded to affirm that I had gender dysphoria because that's what I was telling them. And I was convinced of it. And so they didn't dive into the issues to the root cause and help me to figure out what was going on and to overcome my issues. I was okay as a boy. The road I went down was really, really bad. And boy, I wish I I had the help uh, at that time uh, to figure life out before all that money I spent. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just take this drug, have this mastectomy. You're exactly you're exactly right. Well, that's a that's a powerful story. Billy Burley, I appreciate you coming on tonight. Thank you so much. Take a drug and have a vasectomy? <laughs> I think what Billy Burley was trying to say there was a bit nuanced, like it seek treatment, seek therapy, try to get to the root cause of this and figure out what's going on with your child. Um, which Tucker then converted into Oh yeah, they just tell you to take these drugs and get your dick cut off, and then you're gonna be better. It's like it. Yeah, and like what I heard from Billy Burley was gender dysphoria was not the root cause of my suicidality and depression. Right. Um, but what I imagine Tucker listeners are hearing is gender dysphoria is bullshit there's always some other thing going on and you have to deal with it that way instead exactly yeah that this isn't the quite the same thing as a couple of weeks ago when we talked about tucker like stealing expertise when he has doctors on his show but it's in the same ballpark of like it the message that tucker is conveying is not what billy burley was saying exactly yeah yeah it tucker's able to do that because he he controls the valence of information on the show. He controls what is true and what isn't. Um, so he has some closing thoughts on this that are just as dumb fucking stupid as his opening thoughts. So you've got to wonder if the geniuses behind the current revolution have thought through the consequences of it. Let's say you started telling the entire population, starting in preschool, that if you don't like the sex you were born with, you can change it. You were a boy, now you're a girl. All you have to do is say so. When you tell people that, what are you really saying? Well, you're telling them they're God. They're omnipotent with the power to alter the most profound physical realities purely by wishing it so. If you say that enough, a lot of people are going to believe you. So you shouldn't be surprised when they don't stop with gender transition. Why would they stop? If you could control nature, you'd probably make a lot of improvements. If you can change your sex, why can't you change your race? That's a serious question. Please explain. Why can't you change your race? Race is far less fundamental to human biology than sex is. And by the way, why can't you change your height or your eye color or your shoe size? For that matter, why can't you change your vaccination status? Okay, why are objectively measurable things different from an expression of your gender? Um, (laughs) allow me to write a dissertation. (laughs) One of them is valid and the other is not. That's that's (laughs) it. Yeah, it, it, it... If I if I decided I'm stealing this from a streamer, so if you know who it is, don't rat me out. Um, <laughs> um, if I decided, Troy, to say I want to identify as a person whose molecules are made out of gold, that's not a valid identity because you can prove that that is not the case, yeah. right? Um, but gender is not something that you can like nail down. You know, you can be a masculine person who is female. You can be, you know, whatever. You can be anything. But it's not valid for me to say, oh, I choose to say that my that my molecules are made out of gold because that's not. It doesn't change anything about my life even if it like were true (laughs) right but it's not it's not something that you say to people with the expectation that they will take you seriously (laughs) yeah yeah it so uh he he, that was actually a segue he's gonna talk a bit about people in michigan's upper peninsula faking their vaccination status and i'm not particularly interested in that but then he uh he he pivots into a bigger story 
You see, Tyler, the State Department issued a memo encouraging U.S. embassies to display Black Lives Matter flags on the anniversary of George Floyd's murder. Uh, Now, of course, we all know BLM is a national embarrassment, and the world's laughing at us, but it's not enough for Tucker to tell you that. He's got to bring in an expert. (sighs) Candace Owens is the host of Candace, and we're always grateful to have her on our air. My favorite person. What's the message of this? (laughs) U.S. embassies flying the Black Lives Matter flag. The U.S. embassies are celebrating black death. The consequence of the Black Lives Matter movement, and I I, I cringe when people call it Black Lives Matter protests, because you know what, Tucker, it is Black Lives Matter riots. Uh, The cities burned for six weeks straight following the death of George Floyd. Um, Black neighborhoods were rioted, they were looted, and it led to more black death. Way more black Americans died during the Black Lives Matter riots than than the one black American that was killed uh, by a police officer that allegedly started this entire spree. And it really makes you ask questions. Why is America promoting this so much? Why is America promoting Black Lives Matter, which was, is a corporation, right? So think of it as a corporation. Black Lives Matter raises money, and it's dark money, Tucker, because nobody knows where the money goes. So why would the U.S. government stand behind that? Where is the due diligence here? If the U.S. State Department is going to stand behind this, shouldn't the U.S. State Department also issue maybe a memo out to let us know where the money's going? Wouldn't that be the responsible thing, since Joe Biden wants to give billions more dollars to the IRS? so they can take billions more from American taxpayers. Maybe he can also invest some of that money going to the IRS to look into Black Lives Matter and tell us where the money's going. I think they know where the money's going, and I think that they don't want us to look into it. There is a reason they have been promoting Black Lives Matter from the start, and it's definitely not because they want to save black lives. Because Black Lives Matter, the movement and the incorporation, leads to more black death. That much is indisputable. So that was kind of cryptic. I don't even want to touch the IRS shit that much. <laughs> um, the IRS knows where money goes. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what she's talking about. BLM is not a corporation? Am I wrong there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I didn't look into it. It could be that they incorporated, but I... <laughs> but, like, they're not a business. They don't yeah, it... sell a product or service. Yeah. Um, so by all reasonable definition of corporation, I'm going to say BLM, not a corporation. Yeah. Um, more black people die during protest. Yeah. Because cops kill them, (laughs) (laughs) which is why the BLM protests are continuing to go on. Candace. Yeah. Ah, (laughs) I hate you so much. And I do think, uh, I'm pretty sure what she's trying to get at with the the dark money thing there is that like Patrice Cullors bought nice houses, um, and she just stepped down for Black Lives Matter this week. My but, understanding was that she was independently wealthy before. Yeah, I it, Tucker claims that there there was evidence that like Black Lives Matter money was going into it, and I I didn't look into it to be honest. Um, but la- last I knew, that seemed untrue. <laughs> yeah, I don't. But uh, also claiming that BLM are just rioters. Every civil rights protest has rioters. That doesn't invalidate the positions of the movement. It is frankly disgusting how long Black Lives Matter protests have been going on without any change from the fucking government, man. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It is ridiculous. How many more black people have to die before Congress makes some changes, huh? Yeah, so then, uh, with Candace having made that amazing point, Tucker has a follow-up question. 
As far as I, it's such a great point, and as far as I know, Black Lives Matter stands as a matter of policy against the nuclear family, which, speaking for myself, I think for you too, and for most people in this country, is the center of our lives. The nuclear family is kind of all that matters. Why in our name as Americans and U.S. taxpayers is the U.S. government promoting a group that opposes the nuclear family? And why are we putting up with this exactly? Well, the government wants to make sure that families are torn apart. Every effort of what they do is to make sure families are torn apart. You did a very good job talking about even this trans agenda that's going on, which telling kids to pick their gender, telling kids to mutilate their bodies. I'm glad you covered that because that also leads to the breakdown of family. A child that mutilates their body cannot have a productive family, right? It cannot have the nuclear family unit intact. That is the goal. And the goal is because if you believe in Karl Marx's ideologies, if you believe in Marxism, then you know what was crucial to Marx's ideology was making sure that the nuclear family and traditional families were broken down. Why, Tucker? Because in order for the government to replace mom and pop, there can be no mom and pop. They want you to turn to the government for every answer. They want no faith. They want no family. They want just government in the lives of every single American. This is Marxism manifest. Yeah. And maybe there's a point at which if you're trying to destroy the nuclear family that we say, I'm sorry, that, you know, there's a line that you can't cross. And that's that's kind of it. Like, no, you're not allowed to do this. I, I hope people will start reaching that conclusion, because this is too far, I, in, my, in my view. Candace Owens, I appreciate the clarity that you always bring. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so there's a few things there. I'm going to skip over the ones that are, like, built on lies, um, just to make this easier. Her message, not her exact words, but her message seems to be that trans children aren't people, so if you have a trans child, your family is torn apart. Yeah, I, I think what she was trying to say is that like people who undergo hormone therapy or affirmation surgery can't have families, which is not true. Yeah, yeah. so fuck that. Uh, things Candace doesn't know the definition of. Marxism. That's all about that one. Um, <laughs> BLM wants to tear apart the nuclear family? Citation needed, Tucker? Fuck yeah, you. Yeah, we, we've talked about that a couple of times now. That's just not, that's not what that means. It's about expanding the the types of families that are valid yeah, yeah yeah um yeah i think that's all um i really hate the child mutilation thing that they bring up but it's it's not real so i don't want to validate it by talking about it yeah but i already did so uh fuck you candace <laughs> yeah it, it tr trans people can have families that's the point and that's why it used to be on their website, we disrupt the, the Western prescribed nuclear family structure in that, like, it's not just one thing. And specifically, they're targeting, like, they're not even saying you have to be okay with it. What they're targeting is, like, government policies that disadvantage non-traditional families. Yeah. That's all we have from Tuesday's show. By the time Wednesday rolls around, uh, Joe Biden has announced the creation of a task force to investigate the origins of COVID-19. So I bet Tucker is thrilled, right, that they're... They're uh, doing what he wants them to do. <laughs> we all know that isn't true. Joe Biden yeah. wants you to know that he has suddenly, a year and a half in, developed a mild curiosity about where this pandemic came from. It turns out the virus probably didn't originate in Omaha. More than that, Joe Biden can't say. But he's put some of his top sleuths on it, the super spies in the so-called intel community, and they have promised to report back at some point. As of today, two-thirds of Joe Biden's spies believe the virus jumped naturally to human beings from an infected animal. 
as viruses so often do as you peruse the pangolin aisle in your local wet market. The spies who believe that are the ones who have never spoken to a working virologist and don't have Internet access. But the other third, Joe Biden told us today, quote, lean more toward the theory that COVID escaped from a nearby government lab in Wuhan that happened to be conducting dangerous experiments on nearly identical bat coronaviruses at the same time. Keyword nearly identical. Also, the pandemic hit America around 13 months ago, not a year and a half ago. And if it had hit a year and a half ago, Joe Biden wasn't president a year and a half ago. (laughs) No, I don't think that's true, Tyler. I'd have to check. (laughs) That's a minority of spies who believe that, but they're open to the possibility. Who knows, really? Either way, Joe Biden explained, we're going to get some answers or at least more questions, possibly several months from now. So rest assured, the White House is on it. Okay. Um, (laughs) So he's going to explain in this next clip why he's skeptical that the White House is on it. And to be honest, we doubted that. Just hours before Joe Biden's announcement, we learned that the White House had shut down a large, ongoing and legitimate federal investigation into the origins of this pandemic. That investigation had been going on for months. It was being conducted by the State Department's Bureau of Arms Control Verification and Compliance. That's the bureau responsible for ensuring that countries like China are not stockpiling deadly illegal bioweapons such as, for example, obscure bat coronaviruses that have been manipulated in labs by military scientists to make them more transmissible in, say, New York City. So he's going to fret about this some more. And um... Can I make a prediction? Uh, Yes. Okay. Uh, They're investigating bioweapons, and COVID wasn't a bioweapon, so the investigation is over now. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you you are right in the the proper ballpark, my friend. Um, he's going to fret about this a bit more. And in this next clip, we get another guest appearance by our good pal, Senator John Kennedy. Again? So why did the White House shut down that ongoing investigation? Well, at a hearing today, senior officials at the National Institutes of Health, that would include Dr. Tony Fauci, said they had no idea why the White House shut it down. They said they first heard about it on the news. And that seemed odd, given that the NIH does employ the nation's foremost experts on infectious diseases. And, of course, they're closely linked to the story. It was NIH, was your tax dollars, actually, but funneled through NIH, that funded some of the grotesque and dangerous research at the now infamous Wuhan Institute of Technology that may have caused the destruction of the West. So today, Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana asked all of these questions. Here's how it went. Why did you guys spike, not guys and ladies, Why did y'all spike the prior administration's uh, investigation into the origins of the coronavirus and whether it could have uh, come out of the Wuhan lab? Sir, we did not spike anything in the prior administration. I'm not sure what you mean by spike, but we have no influence. The State Department spiked the the prior administration's uh, study. But that has nothing to do with the National Institutes of Health. So they didn't consult with y'all? They did not. Did they consult with you, Dr. Collins? I read about it in the press this morning. Doc? They just spiked it without talking to their experts? You don't want to answer that one, do you? Nope, they definitely didn't want to answer. So we still don't know why the White House ended a months-long investigation into the central question of the moment. Which White House, Tucker? Was it the one that had a history of trying to cancel investigations which were damaging to its <laughs> to its image. Tucker? Yep. 
Uh, that's that's something, isn't it? I um, didn't know I was going to be so mad this episode, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the reason I kept all this in is because we're about to see a very important escalation in the way that Tucker talks about this. But they, they didn't want to answer that question at the hearing, so I'll go ahead and take care of it. The Trump administration's investigation was spearheaded by then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and his allies. Um, while I couldn't find much in the way of specifics on this question, it does seem that the investigation was mired in infighting and was poorly run. Also, like you mentioned, it was uh, it being handled by the department that looks into bioweapons, so their uh, their criterion were a little off. the The findings of that investigation were uh, the, the, their legitimacy was in question. So the the Biden administration deemed it was an inefficient use of resources, and uh, launched their own investigation as an alternative. Now, that that characterization of the previous investigation has been disputed by people involved in it, chiefly a guy who Tucker is about to name drop named David Asher. And at this point, there's not a whole lot of specific information I could dredge up. I assume more will come out in the coming weeks. It'll give a better idea of exactly what was going on there. But pay attention to to Tucker. uh, you, You get a clue here about how he's going to be advancing this narrative in the coming weeks. David Asher named a man called Chris Ford, that's the former acting undersecretary for arms control at the State Department, as someone who, quote, didn't want to delve into the potential of an accidental lab release, let alone one related to a possible classified Chinese military program in violation of arms conventions. Now, why would an official in the U.S. government not want to know more about an adversary, a foreign adversary, violating international law and imperiling the lives of millions? That's a great question. So before, his, he, he spoke in implication when he talked about the lab leak theory, and the, the context there was always it was an accidental escape of this virus, right? Mm-hmm. Now, he, he has shifted the Overton window enough that he feels comfortable talking about the lab leak theory as though it's definitive, this definitely happened, this is definitely where COVID came from, as we heard before. Um, so now that he's established that, he's ready to begin inching toward the next escalation, which is that the Chinese government did this intentionally. For reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've seen him inching toward a full-throated acceptance of Lally theory as the definitive truth now. And now that he's gotten there, my guess is in the coming weeks we're going to see him inching toward this bioweapon narrative. And... I don't know what his end game is. I feel like it's like sowing terror, <laughs> yeah. so that people don't trust anyone except yeah. for him. Yeah, and it comes out to like more protectionist trade policy, I guess. But and he's talked before about how he seems to think some sort of like military conflict with China is inevitable. So I mean, he uh, he might think we're just he's a part of that iceberg drifting toward inevitability. <laughs> I don't think there's any evidence that we're headed toward military conflict with China. Yeah. Just going to put that out there. I mean, <laughs> unless all these UFOs are Chinese tech. <laughs> so uh, in this next clip, Tucker is going to talk about John Cena. What? <laughs> in a recent interview, an actor and former wrestler called John Cena was out promoting a new film called F9. And during the promotion, he announced that, quote, Taiwan is the first country that can watch F9. Okay, well, that seems like a pretty harmless thing to say. But from the Chinese perspective, it's not allowed. 
So as punishment, John Cena was instructed to go on Weibo, the Chinese social media platform, and grovel in Chinese for forgiveness. It's disgusting. We're only going to play part of it for you. Here it is. To watch an American citizen apologize to our chief adversary for the so-called crime of describing a nation as a nation, Taiwan is a country, Sorry, China, it is. And for the crime of saying that out loud, for telling the truth, he had to apologize. But you'll notice it, and if you watch the thing, you'll see it. He never explained what he was apologizing for. He wasn't even allowed to repeat the sin. He can never mention Taiwan again. So first off, I don't trust Tucker's interpretation of the translation of this, and I don't speak Chinese. So I hesitate to take this at face value right this second. As far as I'm aware, like it, he's pretty much accurately re- representing what happened. And in spirit, Tucker's take here is one that I agree with. China is guilty of horrific human rights abuses in Taiwan, which deserves to have its sovereignty recognized, and the fact that the U.S. government has been complicit in China's denial of their sovereignty is disgusting. Agree. That was, that was where I was going to go after that. <laughs> yeah, um, and... Also problematic is the fact that people involved in the entertainment industry in this country are so addicted to making money off of shitty action movies in the Chinese market that they'll essentially debase themselves and ignore the oppression of a nation of, of a nation of people. Yeah. Uh, however, Tucker, capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> and Tucker is about to reveal why, even if it seems like we might agree with him, he can never be an ally. No, and we both thousands of Chinese residents watched this. And they left mostly negative comments in response to what was effectively a hostage tape. One of the most popular comments said this, quote, you can't take benefits from China, but in the meantime, do things to harm China's interests, end quote. Now, you say that as an American, you'll be banned from Twitter. That's xenophobic. (laughs) But it's real. And it's a prevailing view in China. If you want to make money in China, you follow China's rules, period. And so if you're wondering why they shut down the investigation, why they kowtow before a country that clearly wants to control us and doesn't like us, that's why. Because they're getting rich doing it. I don't think xenophobia is banned on Twitter. Because I can think of a few people on Twitter who uh, get away with some shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, uh, did you know that John Cena is part of the Biden administration? (laughs) (laughs) So they they shut down that investigation together. Um. <laughs> I would love like a sitcom of John Cena working in the White House, just <laughs> shirtless because he's because ne- he never wears a shirt. <laughs> yeah, he uh, it, Tucker ties everything into this neat little blanket and uses it to advance his nationalism bullshit. He doesn't give a shit about Taiwan. If he gave a shit about Taiwan, he might inform his audience about why it's a pro- why China won't recognize their sovereignty, why the U.S. has been complicit in that. Um, it, he, he might, you know, care about human beings. Yeah. But that's... He's, Not a strong suit of his. Yeah, but he's much more interested in this uh, geopolitical dick-wagging. The situation in Taiwan is just convenient set dressing for him to tie everything up in a blanket and go, oh, they're selling us out to China because they're for the money. 
It, yeah. They're, and pretend he hates elites again. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. Next up, Tucker is upset about Biden's new ATF nominee, David Chipman, because Chipman supports uh, an assault weapons ban. I guess I'm opposed to an ATF nominee in that I don't think the ATF should exist, but... I mean, what is the ATF? Uh, Beer of Alcohol, Firearms, and Tobacco. Oh, okay. Tobacco and Firearms. Gotcha, okay. But he uh, he brings on the self-described greatest mind of the 21st century, Jesse Kelly, to talk about this. I'm going to listen to some episodes of, episodes of the Jesse Kelly show. This is the third time that I've seen him on Tucker's show now, and every single time he has said some scary shit, this being no exception. We want to speak to Jesse Kelly tonight. He's the host of the Jesse Kelly Show to assess this. So, Jesse, how many, I mean, just roughly speaking, there are more than dozens of AR-15s in circulation. I think there are tens of millions of them, likely. What would it mean to ban them in, in real terms? It would mean we would get the world that David Chipman wants, and that's the world where he's free to hurt you, Tucker, hurt me, hurt anybody who disagrees with him. I, I don't know why we feel the need to dance around this, because this is what the mistake we make on the right. We hear right. AR-15 ban, and we hold up some chart that says, well, pistols and fists and stuff, they hurt more people every year. These people know that. David Chipman can read. He's an idiot, right. but he can read. He knows that. What he wants is the freedom to hurt you, and I don't know why we have to dance around that. It's such a smart point. Why does nobody say that? Because it's bullshit. <laughs> well, nobody says it because it means acknowledging your fellow Americans want you dead, or at least are okay if, the, if you are dead. And I realize that sounds extreme. People, they, they've called you a Nazi for four years for a reason. That's what they think you are. Do you think David Chipman thinks Nazis should be able to own AR-15s? No. He wants the, the ability, he wants the, the authority to ban them. I mean, putting that guy in charge of the ATF, it's like throwing a party for your friends and letting Bill Cosby tend the bar. <laughs> so I'll let you play with that analogy. <laughs> um, what? Putting David Chipman in charge of the ATF is like throwing a party for your friends and having Bill Cosby tend the bar, obviously. Oh, okay, so this does kind of tie into what I was saying. I missed this his guest's name. Jesse Kelly. Jesse Kelly. Okay, I don't know what his credentials are. Um... But he seems to believe that the government wants to kill him, and he needs AR-15s to defend himself. Yeah. Um, if you, Republicans, think that AR-15s will save you from the United States military, you are sadly mistaken. <laughs> and that is not a good enough reason... <laughs> I don't I don't really think that banning AR15s is going to solve our our gun problems but keeping them is not going to protect you from the military. Yeah. I talked about I talked with Troy about this off air but like gun stuff is difficult and the second amendment is very strong there's no chance of changing that so we kind of have to work with a different framework than <laughs> other countries that can just ban guns so yeah i'm not i'm not totally 100 percent sure where i sit on everything but like i don't think an ar-15 ban is gonna help a lot of people yeah and the your fellow americans want you dead is a terrifying thing to tell people yeah yeah if your neighbor supports gun control it's because he wants you to die yeah uh, like in that, the uprising yeah yeah, Jesse. That, that's gonna happen. Like Jesse Kelly gives me serious Civil War vibes every time he's on. Yeah, and I mean, isn't that like what Tucker's show is? Like, it's yeah. this might be too derailing, but like, there's 
his whole thing is that there's a culture war. Get ready. Like, <laughs> yeah, th- th- this isn't this isn't my term, um, but a, l- a lot of our listeners here from Knowledge Fights, so they've heard this said before that it, this whole world is like terrorist edging. Okay, <laughs> it, like they're they're not going to tell you to go out and kill people, but they're certainly going to get you in the mindset, you know? Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to target a firearm that is owned overwhelmingly by the most law-abiding people in the country. I read a study the other day that said that people with a concealed weapons permit are less likely than police officers to commit crimes. They commit no crimes, and that that goes for the overwhelming majority of AR-15 owners. To target them tells you that it's not really about reducing violence, is it? So that that that's that statistic there comment here that concealed carry permit holders are less likely to commit crimes than police officers. I found where that claim comes from. There was this guy named John Lott. He's the head of a pro gun group called the Crime Prevention Research Center. In 2015, Lott compared the rate of crimes committed by police officers nationwide to uh, CPL permit revocations in Texas, Florida, and Michigan. Because if you have a CPL and you're convicted of a crime, your permit can be revoked. So that was the metric he was using. Okay. Lot took the national data for Police Crime Commission and compared it to the fraction of permit holders in Texas who had their permits revoked. He found that the rate for crimes committed by police was 7 to 10 times higher than that of concealed carry permit holders. However, Lot's data contained some counting flaws. His data on crimes by police came from research by Philip Stinson, a criminal justice, justice professor at Bowling Green State University. Stinson told PolitiFact that Lott failed to note that Stinson was reporting the number of cases, not the number of individual officers involved in crimes. Quote, some officers are arrested more than once, and some some arrested officers have more than one arrest case because of multiple victims, Stinson said. So the whole analysis is wrong because the rates are mangled by using a different unit of analysis. There's another counting issue as well. Two leading researchers questioned Lott's use of, of permit revocations to measure crimes by permit holders. Quote, those data undercount the true number of infractions, said criminologist Richard Rosenfeld at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Think of the process. An infraction occurs. Then it must be reported to the police or another legal authority. The police must find it as a crime or infraction that would warrant revocation, and then the revocation must occur. Rosenfeld said the instances fall out of the data set at each step along the way. Law professor and statistical analyst John Donahue at Stanford University, gave another reason to doubt the link between revocations and crime. In his research, he found, quote, a number of cases where the permit holder was killed while committing a crime, and of course those permits were not revoked. So, it, Tucker is full of shit there. Surprise, surprise! <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, no, it's not about reducing violence. Well, not real violence. I mean, none of these people care about mass shootings, Tucker. They don't care about inner city violence. What they care about is that they've never been able to achieve their final socialist dream in America because half the country owns a lot of firearms. That's just the truth. That was step one for every other scumbag dictator in history. And our left in this country missed that step. And it's the only thing separating them from Pol Pot. Bracing to hear someone tell the truth. Thank you for doing it. Jesse Kelly, good to see you. You bet. You too, bud. Yeah, so that's the the genocide gun control myth. Like, the, the one you'll see most often is Hitler talking about how he implemented gun control when he ascended it, when the Nazis took power in Germany. That's not true. Um, Hitler actually loosened gun control regulations from the, the Weimar Republic, where most guns were banned. Uh, he just didn't loosen them for Jews. 
Uh, and then the the specific example there that Jesse Kelly gave is Pol Pot. The Khmer Rouge did not enact any any gun control laws. Um, there were some on the books in Cambodia from 20 years prior to Pol Pot's rise to power, and those laws required the licensure of guns and limited their ownership to hunters. The Khmer Rouge essentially slaughtered the old elite and took their guns for their ranks, so it's not quite gun confiscation in the same way. Nope. So, uh, that that gets us out of the woods on guns. And then Tucker wants to bring this back to trans people in sports. Classic. He interviews a high school student who is filing a lawsuit against the state of Connecticut about the issue. I cut very little from this segment because even though I'm pretty sure the student in question is 18, I still don't want to put somebody's business on the streets while they're in K-12 education. Yeah. However, in introducing this interview, Tucker made a claim that seemed very odd to me. This is not a theoretical problem. Biological males have dominated girls' track meets in the state since they were allowed to compete in 2017. It's obviously unfair. Run that one by me again? The males competing in female sports? They, they've is, dominated in the state of Connecticut. Is a thing that, that's happening yeah, yeah, in the he, real world? Yeah, he insists that since Connecticut allowed this, that it's just it's been dominant in the women's sports there. So uh-huh. I, I looked into that. I found a couple of articles about one trans athlete who has won several track meets. So I think that's Good all for that. I think that's all the Tucker is talking about. <laughs> okay. So one person is doing well and is trans. So obviously it's all a ruse. I, did, I don't have any other clips from this, but the reason they kept it in is because in investigating that, I, I found a study that I hadn't run across before when we've talked about this, and I, I thought its findings were pretty interesting, so this was an opportunity for me to bring them to bear here. A 2017 study published in the Journal of Sports Medicine performed a systemic review of eight previous research articles, as well as the effects of 31 transgender sports policies after implementation, and found two things. The first is kind of obvious. Participation in sports by trans athletes is pretty low. Yeah. Quote from the study, in relation to sport-related physical activity, this review found the lack of inclusive and comfortable environments to be the primary barrier to participation for transgender people. This review also found that transgender people had a mostly negative experience in competitive sports because of the restrictions the sports policy placed on them. The bigger finding, though, was this, quote, Currently, there is no direct or consistent research suggesting transgender female individuals have an athletic advantage at any stage of their transition, ergo cross-sex hormones or gender-conforming surgery, and therefore competitive sports policies that place restrictions on transgender people need to be considered and potentially revised. So, uh, the opposite of Tucker's opinion on the... That seems to keep happening. (laughs) Funny how that works. (laughs) Um, and then to see us out here, Tyler, do you remember that Rush Limbaugh fella? Unfortunately, I do. Yeah, so, um, the, his, the replacement for his radio, his three-hour radio show has been announced. Oh, no. Um. Is it somehow worse? Did they somehow find a worse person than uh, Rush Limbaugh? Remains to be seen. (laughs) Uh, Rush Limbaugh passed away in February, after 30 years of completely dominating talk radio, of course. And since then, some have wondered who will be replacing him. Well, today we learned the answer. Premier Networks announced that Clay Travis, the founder of OutKick, and Buck Sexton, who often appears in the show, will take over the three-hour time slot. 
The program, which is set to begin on June 21st, will be called the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. It's expected to air all over the country from noon to 3 p.m. Eastern. And we will. Buck Sexton has my favorite name of any of these people. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Clay Travis is the founder of Outkick, which is a conservative sports news publication. Uh, um, I imagine they have some things to say about trans people as well. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> Tucker recently did an interview with them where he said that if he were 22, he would opt out of the system completely and move to a different country. So that was kind of funny. What? Yeah, uh, Tucker told OutKick that if he were 22 right now, he would opt out of the system completely, and um, if he were going to go into journalism, he'd start a podcast, he wouldn't go to work for any institution or big company, and he might move to a different country. Okay. Um, Weird. Weird thing to say, Tucker. He also talked about how disappointed he was that all four of his kids went to college, because he urged them not to. Because colleges are leftist propaganda, is that right? Right, right. Okay, yeah. So that's uh, that's Clay Travis, and then Buck Sexton. Um, he has like a, a military background, and he's done a podcast in the last couple of years that has mostly flown under my radar. Though he has been on Tucker's show a couple of times, and his opinions are always terrible. <laughs> so uh, the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton, between the two of them, they're gonna try to stuff their toes into Rush Limbaugh's big old shoe. And we will be listening. In the meantime, Clay Travis joins us, and we're happy to have him. Congratulations, Clay. That's, that's amazing news. Are you nervous? Uh, I'm not nervous, Tucker. First of all, Good. thanks for having me. You do incredible work. And uh, I, I don't think you can be nervous about stepping in. I'm not a replacement. Buck and I are not replacements for Rush Limbaugh because no one replaces a legend But what you can do is continue the fight. And you know this because you do it every night. There is so much insanity going on in this country right now. And I've done sports for the last six years, uh, Tucker, and it's slowly on daily sports radio, slowly just spiraled more and more into the cataclysmically ridiculous. And so I'm excited finally to just be picking up a sword and be able to swing back every single day at all the uh, ignoramuses out there and the idiots and the nincompoops and actually be able to stand up for, I think, a huge number of people out there who worry every time they get on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and want to share their opinion and then think, is it worth it? Am I going to end up losing my job over this? I think you do, and I think certainly we will speak for a lot of people who don't feel like they can speak. Amen. So he is proud to take a sword to poor people and brown people and sexual minorities. Great. He sounds awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it was like ignoramuses, nincompoops. (laughs) What was the middle one? I'm I'm sorry. I forgot. Yeah, no, it's good. Amen. I envy you having three hours. You'll get to about 3% of the insanity. We get to about 1%. Um, there's, I mean, it's just too much. But I, I want to throw, I just want to yeah, throw no a story kidding. right up into your grill and see how you respond. I'm get your thoughts on this. So I was a little disturbed by Tucker saying throw a story right up into your grill. But Tucker is excited that they're going to be able to get into 3% of the insanity going on, man. They'll be able to really dig in and dissect it and give us a taste of what's really going on. And so to tease that ahead of their show, Tucker wants to throw a topic at him, that he, and he's going to demonstrate Clay Travis's ability to just get into the weeds on these issues. 
right up into your grill and see how you respond. I'm going to get your thoughts on this advice that we read in Slate.com, the Dear Prudence column. It begins this way. This is the advice column. My husband won't take off his mask even for sex. We're both vaccinated now. When will this stop? The author adds that her husband, quote, does not change his mask very often, and it's smelly and soiled. So, how many slate readers all, do you imagine can relate? Uh, probably far too many, Tucker. Not a lot of Fox News viewers, I wouldn't imagine. Uh, I would say this. First of all, if the woman had any sense at all, she would leave her husband. Because yes. uh, if, if you're masking up at this point, like, why do you want to be with such an emasculated loser and be betrothed to him for the rest of your life? I would lose my mind if I were this woman. Uh, having said that, you know, I'm about to go out to dinner with my own wife, Tucker. Uh, maybe I should put on four masks just to be safe, you know, so that I don't in any way uh, manage to impinge on anyone. I mean, this this is just it has moved beyond uh, the the theater of the absurd to just a level of mindlessness that the party of science is now embracing fundamentally anti-science beliefs with no, no, no legitimate basis in reality, Tucker. It's just it's mindless, banal insanity. I wonder, though, I mean, once you've admitted that you wear a mask, a surgical mask, <laughs> a soiled surgical mask in the intimate moments with your wife, like there's no going back from that. You've basically just told the world, like, I'm I'm crazy, but you don't even realize you're crazy. I mean, well, can people like that recover? I, no, I don't think people can can recover. And, and that's the thing. I mean, you've seen people as all of the mask mandates have thankfully finally come falling down. You thought there would be a great mass of people running out into the streets to have a great deal of fun. And I think what you're seeing yeah. is this has become the security blanket of many left wingers. They need to have the mask on because it gives them an identity. It is a security blanket for their life. And uh, it's absolutely ridiculous and absurd. Obedient little drones they are. Clay, congratulations to you and Buck. And we will be listening. What a, what a cool opportunity. I know you're going to kill it. Thank you for coming Thanks, on Thanks, by the way, to uh, Ed Hartman and also to Julie Talbot, who made this happen. Phenomenal people. I can't wait to do them justice on the show. Amen. Thank you. Do you hear that? The left are pussies. <laughs> and their wives are going to leave them. Yeah, I'm really glad they're going to have three hours a day for that level of deep analysis. That was that was <laughs> profound. <laughs> I hate that I kind of agree a little bit because, like, I am fully vaccinated and I can will continue to wear a mask in public places where, um, like, even at like Meyer or wherever that you don't have to because I don't want people to think I'm a Republican in public. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm only half vaccinated so far, but. Um, my my wife has expressed expressed the same concern that uh, going into stores without without a mask on freaks her out after a couple of minutes because she feels like nobody's looking at her. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which isn't exactly what they were saying, but it's like kinda. Yeah, it, you need your security blanket, you you pussy. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh that that's all I have from this week. The uh. The, on Friday, Tucker had a, a special episode about the left's war on science, um, and all I know about it is that he talked about witchcraft and then brought in Abigail Schreier, and I just didn't have the energy. So. I don't blame you. <laughs> witchcraft, known science. Yeah, um, he, he didn't really get into witchcraft. It was uh, okay. I, it was uh, it, 
basically comparing the idea that we control nature because we think we're God. You know. Okay. Um, but like we do control. We can like plant trees and shit. <laughs> but what do you mean? <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was mostly knowing that Abigail Schreier was going to be turned. That was going to be on the. I was like, well, I can't stomach that right now. Yep. Yep. Um, I don't blame you. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing about your dad, by the way. I think that's important for people to hear. Yeah, and I, like, I've, I've been hesitant just because, like, that, that's not widely known in my family, but none of my family listen to this show, and I, nobody who listens to the show knows who I am, so I think it'll right. be fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, the if there's a through line this week, it's, I think this week demonstrates really well that Tucker, for all this talk about truth and saying saying what's true and being unafraid tucker doesn't care about objective truth he cares about what is perceived as true and how much of his will he can force on that perception yes like now he he has made it true unequivocally unequivocally within the world of his show that the virus came from the lab so now he can work on nudging toward the next what'll be the next new truth which is that it's a bioweapon yep um and they're covering it up because they got rid of the investigation into the bioweapons. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, it, because it's true that scientists often speak in terms of uncertainty, then he'll turn that into... It. No one knows what's going on. It's all a conspiracy. Yeah, and we, we saw over and over again we can find studies that say the opposite, like a direct inversion of what he's claiming. Yep. It, it's because it's not about what the what the conditions of objective reality are. It's about what he... What he can shift the Overton window to and make people think is like spiritually true, you know? Yeah. Um, and so when when Tucker talks about being unafraid to tell the truth, it, what he means is being unafraid to enforce your will on reality. Yup. Um. Yeah. So that that's all we got. We're. Uh, I think the next couple of weeks we're gonna have a little bit lower volume of Tucker, unless he does something that I need to talk about, and then we will. Um, but don't say that too loud. <laughs> Welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Were the Nazis really that bad? <laughs> Dude, it's a matter of time. He's only getting closer. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, like I said up top, I, after 15 straight weeks of this, I am ready for a palate cleanser, and I think our listeners are too. Perhaps. Um, perhaps. So yeah, with that in mind, to Tyler, what's our sworn enemy this week? It's those damn scientists who are hiding their brain-swapping technology from me <laughs> and preventing me from swapping brains with Lindsey Graham so that I can change my opinions about everything. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know why Lindsey Graham is suddenly really into DC statehood. <laughs> can I brain-swap more than once? Like, there's more Republicans. I'll be the sleeper agent. I'll take Joe Manchin. <laughs> I'll take that chiseled jaw any day. <laughs> the, this, the official line of this podcast is that we are thirsty as hell for Joe Manchin, by the way. <laughs> this just in. Tom Cotton resigns from both Congress and life. <laughs> this just in. Matt Gates shows prosecutors the pictures on his phone. <laughs> Just Joshua. like lean over to whoever's next to him in the in the floor and be like, hey, look at this. She's 17. Josh Hawley <laughs> permanently closes lips with hot glue gun. 
That's why you need to support our show to fund this brain, brain, <laughs> brain swapping <laughs> research. <laughs> God damn it, Soros, get on it. These are important issues. <laughs> All right, so we will be back, of course, but in the meantime, we have a website. It's uh, tuckeredoutpod.com. And for people who can't understand a Michigan accent, that is tuckeredoutpod.com. <laughs> Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> um, we're on Twitter now. It's uh, You can find us at tuckeredoutpod. Um, there's going to be the tuckeredout roundup on Substack. There's lots of stuff we didn't get to this week, including some... Uh, James O'Keefe fun. Um, and then I mentioned last week that I would have some, I was going to start having like a weekly essay up about like kind of reflections and other things I've learned in the research for this show. And I said that that would be up by the time you heard that episode. And then um, I'm a fool and <laughs> thought, thought that things are posted that weren't. So uh, those will be up now for anybody who's curious. Um, Email the show, tuckeredoutpod at gmail.com, and uh, thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, and um, everybody, get get buff-fucked by Karl Marx this weekend. (laughs) Happy Memorial Day. Buck up. It's going to get better.